You're listening to a live audio recording from Women's Bible Fellowship at LEFC. This is week 10 of the study, In His Image. Today's teaching is entitled, God Most Wise. So wow, does anyone else other than me feel like this fall has flown by? It's hard to believe we have so quickly, at least it seems so quickly, arrived at the last week of our study. And to shock us even more, not to send you into a panic, but you do realize that one week from now, we will have already shopped for and prepped and cooked and eaten Thanksgiving dinner. Um, And I'm not even going to calculate the number of days until Christmas. Uh, Don't they say ignorance is bliss? Or maybe it's just that I choose to live in denial. And of course I say that tongue-in-cheek because this week's lesson highlights that ignorance is not bliss. That since God is all-wise and we are to reflect his image, then we too are to seek wisdom. Will we ever be all-wise? Of course not. In fact, A.W. Tozer wrote, The wisdom of humans is but a reflection of that which streams from the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Nonetheless, wisdom is to be our pursuit. The wisdom of God, that is. Not our own. Certainly not the world's. The wisdom of the source of all wisdom. The source of, as we looked at last week, all truth. But before we consider wisdom, let me pray for us. Father, loving God, you are all wise. And we are so often in desperate need of your wisdom. And your word tells us that we do not have because we do not ask, and that you are so gracious to pour it out upon us. And so now, Lord, I ask that you would pour your wisdom on each of us, that we would hear the words that you have for us. Father God, speak through me, speak in spite of me. Hide me and reveal yourself, that we may all learn more what it looks to be like you and to live in your image. And we pray this in your gracious and loving name. Amen. If you are like me, then a desperate plea for wisdom is often on your lips as you speak to God. Oh Lord, tell me what to do in this difficult situation. Lord, show me how to handle this challenging relationship. Lord, give me the words to speak right now. And certainly that's not a bad thing to ask him. In the homework questions, you were encouraged to memorize James 1.5, which instructs us, if any of you lacks wisdom, yeah, me, quite often, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I love the idea that it is generously and without reproach. No guilt trip from God, no stinginess. Here are some definitions I found for wisdom. Having or showing experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Deep understanding, keen discernment, capacity for sound judgment. The ability to think and act, utilizing knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. Webster says it is knowledge and the capacity to make due use of it. 
In the book, Jen clearly distinguished between knowledge and wisdom, and how we sometimes confuse the two, and unfortunately, they do not always exist together. The brilliant scientist who possesses so much knowledge, yet denies the existence of God. The extremely intelligent medical doctor who ignores the sanctity of preborn life. How grateful we should be that God, who indeed possesses all knowledge, is also perfectly, infinitely wise. Tozer defined the wisdom of God as the skill to achieve the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. The ability to see the end from the beginning, to see everything in proper relation and in full focus. Clearly, that is why only God is all wise. He can see the end. He perceives everything, all of life past, present, and future in full focus. And only he can attain the most perfect ends by the most perfect means. It is no wonder that scripture informs us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We can never hope to attain wisdom if we do not start with an appropriate fear, which is a reverence and an awe for God, for his word, for his truth. In addition, his wisdom always has a moral connotation to it. Tozer points out that unlike the world's, God's wisdom will always be high and holy, full of love and purity. It will never be shrewd or crafty, as so often the world's wisdom is. Society may describe a successful businessman as being wise because he is shrewd enough to outsmart his competition, even if unethically, and therefore reach the pinnacle in his field. Oh, how God's wisdom turns that thinking upside down. James writes in 3.13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The New American Standard reads, In the gentleness of wisdom. Too often, people who present themselves as wise do so in an attitude of arrogance and pride. Jen, in her chapter, listed several other ways that James distinguishes between the world's wisdom and God's, so I won't focus on those now, but let's see other biblical passages describing the wisdom of God. Proverbs 3.19 states, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesian saints, starts out blessing God, who has blessed us in Christ, and he lists the ways. He chose us that we should be holy, that we should be adopted through Jesus Christ. He blessed us with grace and redemption and forgiveness. And then in verse 8, he writes, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Everything God has done was in complete wisdom. From the creation of the world and the heavens, to the adoption and redemption of his children through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. God has always acted in full wisdom, even when it did not appear to be uh, to match our human perspective of what would be wise. Commanding Abraham to take the son he had waited for for decades and to build an altar of sacrifice, 
instructing Moses to approach Pharaoh over and over and over again, even though Pharaoh continually refused to let God's people go, sending his perfectly holy son to die an agonizing, brutal death. Yet we know we must choose to believe that God is always only completely wise. And dear friends, we know that God does not, he cannot change from his character. Therefore, everything that God has done in your life has also been in complete wisdom. Do you believe that? Do you live in faith that this truth applies to your past, your present, your future? Despite the uncertainty or the obstacles or the challenges you face, do you trust that God will always act in absolute wisdom, that he always has acted in complete wisdom, even if you still do not understand why something difficult may have happened to you, even if you still do not see the good in his plan in certain areas of your life? Do you believe and trust that God is all wise. As I said, his wisdom is also always full of love and purity. And the same is true of Jesus Christ, always one with the Father. Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah in 11 verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians in 124, refers to Christ as the power and wisdom of God, despite the fact, as he points out in the previous verse, that he is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Is that not our reality today? So many millions of people view the words of Jesus Christ as folly, foolishness, as outdated, out-of-touch teaching, not relevant in today's so-called enlightened society. But just as with truth, the lack of belief in no way negates or even minimizes the absolute pure wisdom found in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2.3 states in describing Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all wisdom. Matthew writes in his gospel in 1354, how after Jesus taught in the synagogue, people were astonished and asked, where did this man get this wisdom? They acknowledged it, but yet so many refused to believe and follow the wisdom he spoke. And in fact, Matthew tells us that they even took offense at him. Lest we judge harshly those in Jesus' hometown who heard the wisdom and yet were offended and filled with unbelief, are there words of God, of Christ, which we hear but decide in our pride that perhaps there's another option, a better way, or at least an easier one? How about in everything give thanks, or cast all your cares upon him, or forgive your enemies, or pray for those who persecute you, or blessed are the meek? We hear we believe Christ spoke those words, and yet, even though we would never verbalize it, and especially never in church, 
secretly do we wonder if that is really the wisest thing to do in our situation, in our specific circumstance. Surely God will understand that this is unique and qualifies as the one allowable exception. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. No rational human could offer thanks in this situation. People would call me foolish and naive if I were to consider this trial to be pure joy. And so we inwardly doubt the infinite, holy, eternal wisdom of God, and we resort to ours. Daily, we must each ask the question, whose wisdom will prevail in my life, mine or the Lord's? And before we quickly respond with, well, God's, of course. After all, I do love him dearly and I follow him closely. Do our actions, our attitudes, our nagging worries and fears reveal that we believe, truly believe that his way is wisest, that he and he alone is filled with all wisdom, that we are to bring our first fruits to him and he will provide for our needs. But Lord, have you seen our tight budget? That we are not to be unequally yoked. But Lord, he really is a great guy, and I'm sure that one day he'll come to church with me. That we are to serve others before ourselves. But Lord, right now I'm in a season of just focusing on self-care and my own needs. The nagging question on a daily basis, will I follow God's wisdom or mine? In his book on the attributes of God, Tozer shares the following analogy. If we were all to board an airplane, I would dare say that none of us would even dream of going up to the cockpit, removing the pilot from his seat, and sitting down in front of the controls. We would go back and take our seat in coach, and we would enjoy, enjoy the smooth flight for a while. And even if major turbulence hit, Despite our fears and anxiety, we still would never dream of yanking the pilot out of his seat and saying, you know what, I'm going to take over. I think I know better how to fly this plane. I think I can get us out of this storm. Let me do the job. And yet, we accept Christ and we gladly place him in the pilot's seat of our life. And we enjoy the smooth flight under his loving direction. But then turbulence enters our life, and we may think or even try to remo remove the Lord from the pilot's seat and take the control panel over for ourselves, imagining that maybe we can come up with another flight plan. Maybe we have an option to escape the turbulence and return to ease in our journey. Will we follow God's wisdom despite the storms that may be raging? or will we pursue ours? And when we choose to follow God's, this is what he promises us in Isaiah 42, 16. And I will lead the blind in a way that they do not know. In paths that they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into lights, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do, and I do not forsake them. The psalmist in 51.6 writes, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. 
And we know his word also reminds us, you have not because you ask not. Ask and God will give generously without reproach. If you lack wisdom in the secret heart, ask the source and provider of all wisdom. I could spend all evening reading verses from Proverbs about wisdom. I'm going to read a few from chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do you hear the commands in those verses? Hold fast. Keep. Get. Do not turn away or forsake. Guard prize her. We cannot be passive in the pursuit of wisdom. We can't just sit back and wait for the Spirit to just shower it down upon us. We need to actively study God's Word and then hold fast to those words. Keep it. Cherish it in our secret heart. Later in Proverbs in chapter 24, Solomon states that by wisdom a house is built. And Ecclesiastes, which most scholars believe was also written by Solomon, he informs us in chapter 7 that wisdom gives strength to the wise man. Wisdom is a firm foundation. It gives strength. And earlier in that same chapter, Solomon writes, for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. He clearly understood that we have to not just receive wisdom, but then protect it because human nature is susceptible to so quickly forget, to stray, to allow our selfish desires or pride or fear or the culture to determine what is wise. We protect God's wisdom by continually seeking and listening to the source of wisdom, to know whom we have believed and to cling to his truth. And to know that we are not alone in this battle in Luke 21:15 Jesus states, "For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict." Paul tells Timothy in his second letter, chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, "But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it." and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Friends, we have all the tools we need to obtain wisdom. Are we asking for it? Are we diligently pursuing it? Are we carefully protecting it? What we ask for in alignment with God's will, we will receive. Ephesians 1.17 assures us that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Hear these blessings that we will then receive from Proverbs chapter 3. 
Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Does that not sound amazing? Better than silver and gold? More precious than jewels? No other desire even compares? Pleasantness and peace, being blessed, will that always look like a happy, smooth, conflict-free life? No, there will be turbulence. But when we are walking in God's wisdom, we have peace because we know we are being held in the hand of an all-loving, merciful, gracious Father, who sees the whole picture, who intends to conform us to his son's image, who desires our holiness, and who has a perfect plan for us. That is why we seek his wisdom. Ask for it, ladies. And when God pours it out on you through his spirit and through his word, cherish it, guard it, live in it. Remind yourself that our wise God thinks about the highest good for the longest time. As a conclusion to our study of In His Image, remember, ladies, the answer to that all-important question, what is God's will for my life? His will is for your sanctification, for the refiner's fire to bring you to look like Jesus, to be conformed to his image by being holy, loving, good, just, merciful, gracious, faithful, patient, truthful, and wise. You were chosen by the sovereign creator for such a purpose. Walk in the ways that he has ordained for you from long ago. Rest in his never-ending love and care for you, and then extend all those qualities to the people you encounter, all to bring glory to our king, our Lord, our Savior. I've been blessed to join you on this journey, but the race continues. Let's finish well. Let me pray for us. Oh, gracious, holy Father God, our words are so inadequate to thank you for your infinite mercy and grace and justice and forgiveness and love and kindness and patience and truth and whatever other ones I'm forgetting. Father God, you truly are amazing, and the grace you pour out on us is amazing. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that you give it to us generously without reproach when we ask for it. Oh, Lord, remind us on a daily basis to ask you for your wisdom as we walk through this life trying to reflect your image to a world in desperate need. And now, Father God, I pray for a special blessing on each of these dear ladies. Guard them, protect them, fill their heart with your abundant love and peace and joy. And we pray all this in your son's precious name, Jesus. Amen. 
Happy Thanksgiving, ladies.